Last Sunday, I preached a message at New Life about death. Now, unfortunately, our computer <laughs> has pretty much died um, and that message was lost and the live stream wasn't really very really able to follow. So I have re-recorded that message here. Uh, it won't be quite the same. It won't have uh, the same flow, but I wanted to make sure that there was still an opportunity to get this message out there. So I hope that uh, in the meantime, this will uh, still speak to you. You are all going to die. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know you will. Unless Jesus returns first, of course. This is the human condition. Life is fatal. In fact, life so far has had a 100% fatality rate. <laughs> There's only one anomaly in those figures, one who has returned to life and never died. But out of billions of people who've ever lived, forgive me for rounding that up just a tiny little bit. We all know it. We cannot prevent it. Young or old, fit or fat, good or bad, you are going to die. But rarely do we talk properly about it. Maybe in the abstract, but rarely do we spend time with this. And when we do, it's almost with a sense of foreboding. You know, we, we don't talk about it because we don't like to talk about it. It makes us uncomfortable. It feels a bit morbid. And it's a shame. Today, I want to bring a cheerful message about death. Now, this has its challenges, doesn't it? For those who have lost loved ones, which is all of us, just some more recently than others, talking about death does have a sting and a sense of loss. Mourning, grief and loss are real and should not be minimized and they are a common experience for all of us. I do not mean today to make light of anybody's loss. But that's a conversation about the death of others. I want us today to focus on our deaths. And that, I believe, is a far more cheerful conversation. A few years ago, a strange thing happened to me. Um, I'm convinced it was the enemy doing it, but that God used it. At the start of that year, a thought arrived in my head. You will be dead by the end of the year. And of course, I shook it off, I rebuked it, I didn't accept it, but it sat there niggling away at me for the whole of that year. There was no health scare, no reason to think that it was going to happen, but it just sat there. And it took months before I even shared it with Amelia, uh, which helped that really lighten the load. Now, in case you hadn't noticed, I didn't die that year. It was a nonsense thought. But God did something in that. I found a peace with it. I got some perspective on it. I realized death wasn't the worst thing that could happen to me. We need a robust theology of our own deaths. If we can keep our eyes fixed on what Jesus has done, 
and what Jesus has for us, then life takes on a very different perspective. And I don't plan today to share anything you don't already know, but I am here to make sure that you are reminded. How we think about our own death reveals a lot about how we think of and live our lives. Church, we need to never be afraid of death. The verse I want us to use to kick us off today is this very simple one. Psalm 116 verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious. Precious to God is the death of his saints. Now just to expand on that for a moment, the word used for precious here means highly valued, prized, even glorious. And saints, well, that's a tricky and loaded word in today's ears because unfortunately we have an association with that word as the special ones, the elite believers, people who have statues made of them. But essentially the word means the godly, the righteous. That's those who follow God. That's, that's you. That's me. That's all of those who keep faith. Glorious and valued to God is the death of those who follow him. What I find remarkable, what I find absolutely remarkable about this is this is not a New Testament verse. The writer didn't have the concept of heaven that we now have. Yet still they were not able just to write this, but they were able to feel this. And God was able to speak a truth in this because God has a bigger picture, doesn't he? I wonder, do we see death the same way as the writer of that psalm here? I dare say we don't. The world today fears death. Now, they might not admit that that's true, but it's reflected in so many parts of society. The struggle to push our bodies to live longer and longer, where we've gained the ability through medicine to keep body and soul together longer and longer. And we are living longer, certainly. But I don't think anyone could make the argument we're living better. Regardless, nothing can stop this day for coming for any of us. And you know what? That's okay. In fact, God calls it precious. So if you're in this place today, in that place today where, you, you know, where death feels like a fearful thing, I want to reassure you, when you are in Christ, you have nothing to fear. Nothing. Jesus went to prepare a place for you. John 14 verses 1 to 4, Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. You know the way. He is the way. I love that Jesus wants to reassure us here. If it were not so, he says, he wouldn't have told you that he's going to prepare a place for you. But he has. So it is. Jesus is not lying. He is not wrong. It is as he says it. Some might see heaven as a delusion to deal with death. But frankly, if Jesus said it's there for us, it's there for us. And I would take his opinion over theirs. Jesus specifically has made room in his Father's house for you. Paul speaks about this too, knowing that once we pass from this body, we are with the Lord. 2 Corinthians verses 5 and 8 says this, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul was adamant. I know I've got work to do here, but I'd rather be with the Lord. Here's a question for you to ponder. If you were given a choice today, you can go to heaven and be with the Lord, or get another 10 years of life first, I wonder which we choose. I'm fairly confident most would choose another 10 years. But I'm also confident that Paul would have said, mm, today. <laughs> Paul longed for heaven in a way that we don't. Why? Well, part of it is familiarity. This world is far from perfect, although it is what I'm used to. But heaven has an unfamiliarity. Well, for Paul, he had an experience of heaven we have not had. It wasn't an unknown for him. In 2 Corinthians 12, he shares about it quite reluctantly. In fact, he phrases it as, I know a man who even though when you look at the context and the surrounding verses, he's clearly talking about himself. But so reluctant is he in talking about it, he removes himself from the description. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 1 to 4. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Incidentally, he doesn't describe it as an out-of-body experience. He says he doesn't know what it was, whether it was in the body or out. He, he can't say. Well, if he didn't know, neither do I. 
He keeps it vague enough with the term visions and revelations of the Lord. He has no doubt that God showed this to him, but he doesn't know if he actually went to heaven or whether it was revealed to him by God. Gotta say, respect to Paul for not committing to something that he doesn't know. He describes it as something that could not be put into words and that he was not permitted to speak of. But he certainly experienced something. That is a very different reaction that many have when they tell us of experiences they've had of heaven. And whilst I don't wish to dismiss them with one fell swoop, if Paul experienced it and said it's not something he's permitted to speak of, I'd be very reluctant to accept somebody else's experience as authoritative. Paul didn't know if it was a vision or not. If he didn't commit to that, then I don't think anybody else should. Sometimes we want to hear these stories, I understand, to reassure us, and I understand why, but often they can bring confusion and poor theology with them. But Paul's experience made him very sure of one thing. He knew where he'd rather be. Because of what Paul writes and because of other references in Scripture, we can be sure about some things that will happen to us when we die. In fact, let's go on a bit of a journey together. Let's look at what we can gather from Scripture. So, for a moment, let's imagine everybody watching right now, all of you, you die today. Right now. Gone. What happens in the next moment? Well, in Luke 16, we can gather some details from Jesus. He tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus isn't giving a talk on life after death. He's making a different point, but he uses life after death to make it. And I can't imagine a scenario where Jesus would give false information about what happens in the afterlife. So we must take what he says as being correct. Now, a little disclaimer, he will be talking about Abraham's side or paradise, which at this point was where people went. This was before the resurrection. But when Jesus dies and rises again, he empties paradise and opens heaven. So the scenario today is a little different, but there are things we can learn. Luke 16, verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Angels carried him to the other side. Amazing as it sounds, when we die, we're not alone. God's messengers, God's angelic hosts escort us. When we are absent from the body, according to Jesus, angels carry us to be present with the Lord. No purgatory, no waiting room, no reincarnation. And I'm sorry to disappoint because I know we're English. No cue, <laughs> no final test set by Peter at the gates. 
just the angelic chauffeur service. On the earthly side of death, you see a body, a coffin. On the heavenly side of death, you see the Lord. We become more alive than we ever have been. What we can also learn is this from the rich man who was in torment and longed to be at the other side. Luke 16 verse 26 And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not do so, and none may cross from there to us. Again, this is when people were in paradise, but the principle remains the same. At the point of death, the decision is final. That rich man could not go beyond the chasm. His regret could not change the place he now was in. Now that's a sobering thought when you think of those who do not know Jesus. Or if you are one of them. We don't get another go at this. The eternal destiny of every person is fixed at the moment of death. Now that certainly has a sobering, negative side to it. But for those in Christ, it is cause for celebration. When you die in Christ, you've made it. You never have to worry about losing your place in heaven again. It is sealed, done, precious it is in the eyes of God. In that moment, the race is over. The race is done. There's no last hurdle. There's no more running. You've made it. You got there without turning away. And that, that is an achievement. That is a victory that cannot be taken back. If, you, if you're old, first of all, well done in living this long. But you see, don't rest easy now thinking you've made it. You are not at the end of the race. Not yet. Many stumble on hurdles right near the end. But when you reach this stage, that's it. Can you imagine how wonderful it would be? At that moment, your flesh won't fail you ever again. You'll never let down God again. You'll never have to battle sin again. Can you imagine you'll never have to battle sin again? You'll never have to battle sickness again. You'll never have to battle despair ever again. You'll never be in those moments again where, you know, those moments where, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Never again.
we will get our happy ending, our happy ever after. We go home. Our spirit is immediately in the presence of Christ. The next thing we can learn from this story is this. You are conscious and aware. You have thoughts, feelings, speech and memory. The rich man in this story talks and reasons very much like he would have done in life. The rich man begs this, Luke 16 verses 27 to 28. And then he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. He has emotions. He is aware of his past life and his family. He is still very much himself. When we lose our earthly body, we are still us. Just in the same way that if you lost an arm, you don't stop being you. You are still the same person. That's some things we can learn from just this one story. But there's so much we don't know. Paul saw it, but never spoke of it. We don't have a lot of details, but we do have plenty of reassurance. John glimpsed part of it too in his revelation of Jesus. In Revelation 4, we get a picture of God's throne room, a present reality. The elders and the angels worshipping God. Well, if we're absent from the body, present with the Lord, then we too are engaging with this worship. There will be many, many reunions. You will recognise and communicate with believers who have come before you. We don't know how, but at the Transfiguration, Peter was able to recognize Moses and Elijah. There is relationship, community, those who we have lost. We will be reunited. So to sum up, what would happen if we all died here today? God sends the angelic host so you don't die alone. You are ushered into his presence with no delay. You are totally secured in your destiny. You are fully aware and fully you. You will recognize and be reunited with believers who have gone before you. You will never experience loss or hurt again. You will never be aware from the presence of God again. Your faith will become sight. You will see that the former things were never even worth being compared to this. And that's just getting started because there's coming the day of the restoration of all things and the new heaven and the new earth. That's what Paul longed for. Can you see why Paul was able to say this in Philippians 1 verses 21 to 24? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. 
I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Do we long for it the way that Paul did? I don't know that we always do. Often we take the view, Lord, I want to go to heaven, but not yet. But here's why I believe this is the case. To die is gain is only something we can truly say and feel if the next part is true. We can only say to die is gain and sincerely mean it if we can also say to live is Christ. Because when Christ is really and truly our life, our reason for existing, we view our life differently. I have some cheerful news for you. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. <laughs> Apart from salvation, it's the best. Yet we cling like a barnacle to this world. But Jesus said in John 12, 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates this life in the world will keep it for eternal life. We must be very careful how much we love and cling to this life. We must be so careful that we don't extend life at all costs because frankly life isn't worth it. There is of course a caveat to this. All of these wonderful descriptions of, the li of life after death, the preciousness of death to God, it's the death of his saints, his righteous ones, God's people. Death is a very different thing to those who don't know him. It's blessed is the death of his saints. What would it look like if you died without Jesus? Well, for the lost, there is no angelic escort into the presence of God. There's no presence of God at all. There is the place of separation. You are fixed into your eternal destiny. There's no opportunity for it to change. The death of someone who doesn't know Jesus is truly a tragedy. Because any hope of restoration to God is gone. You are fully aware and fully you. You remember your life on earth and you will never experience peace again. The key difference is, where do you stand with Jesus? It's amazing to me how many people who don't believe in God or follow Jesus at all still believe in the Christian concept of heaven just with a different system of entry. It's pretty inconsistent. But here's the reality. There are two destinations, heaven or hell. There's no secret bonus window. The afterlife is binary, not spectrum. For those who know Jesus, 
the closest to hell you'll ever be is here. This is the worst it will ever be. Everything gets better at the moment of death. For those who don't know Jesus, this world is the best it's ever going to be. This life is the closest to heaven you'll ever experience. After death, it only gets worse. But just because that's where you are today, doesn't mean that's how it has to stay. Nothing is fixed. Nothing is set until that moment. Where do you stand with Jesus? For those of us who do follow Jesus, how do we think about our own death? <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. No, seriously, there's a song that just came to mind as, we were, as, we were, as I was preparing this. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. What a day, a glorious day that will be. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, a glorious day that will be. I'll never mess up again. Thank God. Now that's either true or it isn't. And it's either true in my life or it isn't. Now, very important. I don't get to decide the date that this happens. God does. He calls us home. It is he that gives and he that takes away. And I must never take that decision into my own hands. That is an act of faithlessness. That is a mistrusting of God. And I don't know how that decision will ultimately play out. We don't make that decision for ourselves or for others. Life and death are in the hands of God. We cannot control how or when that happens, much as sometimes we might want to. And I'd like to end with one last thought. Often when we say about getting old, we have this phrase where you wake up and your bones are hurt and then you ache and you go, oh, well, it's better than the alternative. But that's not true, is it? Actually, the alternative is far better. And we should remember that when we pray. When we pray for those who are elderly or those who have a great sickness, we must remember duration of life is not as important as quality of life. I've had to realise it is not a lack of faith to pray for someone in certain situations. Lord, take them peacefully. We can feel guilty when we pray for someone who's sick and we're not praying for them to be healed. But when someone is with the Lord, what is the better option for them? It takes faith to pray that. Faith in what is coming next. Yes, Jesus said, raise the dead and heal the sick. But there's a moment for every person that God will call us home. We need to operate in faith and discernment 
about which is which. Because death is not the worst outcome for them. Our goal in life is not to delay death for as long as possible, but to know Jesus and to make him known. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We need to talk about death, but not as a negative thing, as the thing we're looking forward to forever with the Lord. You know, when I'm getting ready to go on holiday, I'm a real bore because I talk about it all the time with great excitement. Why? I'm excited. I can't wait to get there. We need to talk about heaven like that because this is even better than the holiday. If we have our eyes fixed on the glory to come, then we can endure what this life throws at us. Keep the joy that is set before you always in mind and let's talk about death like we would talk about a holiday we can't wait for what a day a glorious day that will be god bless you